Good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast, The Endurance of Labor Laws. I am your lovely host, Leslie Sullivan. Today is episode 291 and we are going to take a look at what is called the Employment Act of 1946. But before we dive into that, let me give a big shout out to my listeners because as usual, you guys are awesome and we love to see you here. So a big shout out to Oklahoma, Virginia, California, New York, Texas, Pennsylvania, British Columbia, Illinois, Florida, Oregon, New Jersey, Georgia, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Arizona, Massachusetts, Ohio, Minnesota, Alabama, Washington, Nebraska, Utah, District of Columbia, also known as DC, aka the Swamp. Uh, next one is Mississippi, Kansas, North Carolina, Tennessee, Rhode Island, New Hampshire, Louisiana, Nevada, Maryland, New Mexico, Michigan, Idaho, Iowa, Alberta, Ontario, New Brunswick, Wisconsin, Connecticut, Manitoba, Hawaii, Newfoundland and Labrador and Nova Scotia. Very good to see you guys there in terms of countries. Big shout out to the United States, the lovely USA, Singapore, Canada, the Russian Federation, the United Kingdom, Australia, the Netherlands, India, China, Niger, Slovakia, South Africa, Japan, Denmark, the Federated States of Micronesia, Uzbekistan, Bangladesh, the Philippines, Hong Kong, Greece and Lithuania. So we're going to take a look at this lovely article here and again we're talking about the Employment Act of 1946. So this is right after the end of World War II. So this is when all of our troops come home and they are re-entering the workforce. So you have to remember that the workforce was drastically changed because of World War II. Most of our uh working men uh, I'd say within a certain age range um were drafted and were sent overseas. to fight in the war so many women entered the workforce to replace that lack of labor so now you have women that have been working really hard they have been earning a living and they have been financially responsible for the family so now we have all these men coming back home they need to get back into society they need jobs so this is kind of around this time but also it's one of those things that women they they got used to being the breadwinner but they were not always paid equally or appropriately and i think that's really what kind of started the women's rights movement was what happened during world war 2 and right after world war 2 so it's kind of some of these events kind of overlap in terms of civil rights and things like that but the civil rights movement it really uh came to light i would say in the 1960s but it was there a long time Uh, let me reword that it was brewing a long time before it actually came to pass in the 1960s so again we're taking a look at the employment act of 1946 it was enacted by the 79th united states congress it is public law um it was introduced in the senate on january 22 1945 there was a committee consideration by the senate banking and house expenditures it passed the senate on september 28 1945 it passed the house on December 14th, 1945. And then let's see here, it was signed into law by President Harry Truman on February 20th, 1946. So major amendments, uh, one of them is the Humphrey Hawkins Full Employment Act. We will take a look at that later. We've touched on several of these, but we've never really dived into all of the aspects of it. So this is just a snippet of it, a very small fraction of what it actually entails. So it says the Employment Act of 1946 is a United States federal law. So this is not state law, this is federal law. 
Its main purpose was to lay the responsibility of economic stability of inflation and unemployment onto the federal government. That is not the role of federal government, which you have to remember is that uh, we had a Democrat in office during World War II, and we had Democrats for a really long time uh, after that. And it, it gets old because you, you get a lot of Democrats in office, whether it's the presidency or the House of Representatives or the Senate or the Congress, whatever the case may be, and they just want the federal government to, to be in charge of everything. And they use, um, I would say, major events like a world war as an excuse for the federal government to be in charge of, excuse me, to be in charge of everything And that is not the purpose of federal government, not by any means. We, the people, are the government. So that means everybody that is a citizen of the United States is the government. We just happen to elect certain officials to serve in different roles, but that doesn't mean that those officials get to dominate and control every single thing within our country. But that's not how Democrats think. That, uh, that, that kind of mindset has been going on for a long time, and it's really sad. Um, The act is stated as it was the continuing policy and responsibility of the federal government to, quote, coordinate and utilize all its plans, functions, and resources to foster and promote free competitive enterprise and the general welfare. That is not the purpose of government, not by any means. That's socialism. So socialism is nothing new. Um, there have been many people that have been trying to get socialism to be the way of government, I would say, since the 1800s. And so this is nothing new. Like, for example, when we've talked about different labor unions in times past and there are these fascists that immigrate over here from Ireland and the U.K. and uh, the Russian Empire, a.k.a. the Soviet Union, a.k.a. the Russian Federation, they immigrate over here with not very good intentions. They don't care for democracy. They don't care for capitalism, but yet they want the money. And so they become fascists or communists because they don't think that other people deserve to be rich. They think they deserve to be rich, but they don't think other people do. That's a big problem. It says, um, so to foster and promote competitive enterprise and the general welfare, that's not the role of government. That's the role of the private sector. Um, conditions under which there will be afforded useful employment for those able, willing, and, and seeking to work. That's not the role of government. So you have the government here, even back in 1946, trying to decide who the winners and the losers are. And that is not the role of government. Um, when you have socialism and communism or fascism, that is their role. But that is not the role of government within a capitalistic, democratic society. Unfortunately, Democrats have never really understood this. And yet they, they claim to be for the people, and they're really not. Because if you're really for the people, then you would never want to institute something that takes away their liberty, strips them of their rights, and makes it so that they can never really get ahead, and so they're just forever poor. Big government um, has... been a problem, especially for Democrats. Uh, that's just kind of been their mindset. And so they think the government should decide how much money you make, and yet they want all this money in tax dollars. So it does really make sense that if you want to control other people's labor, that you also want to overtax them, because that's not really helpful to um, to the employee. And also, it, it takes away from workers' rights. So you know, violation of workers' rights is nothing new. It goes back a long time. But it has its roots in socialism, fascism, and communism, and this is nothing new to the United States. So just FYI, be aware of that. goes on to say, and to promote maximum employment, production, and purchasing power. That's not the role of government. That is the role of the private sector. Government has no place in that, but government likes to pat itself on the back. Um, it says, congressional liberals originally intended to secure a federal commitment to full employment, Uh, though the conservative coalition that controlled Congress at the time prevented this, thank goodness, uh, prevented this language from being included in the final bill. You know, thank goodness for Republicans. If it wasn't for Republicans, we would have been a socialist country, 
Oh wow, going back to 1950s, just like the United Kingdom. So you know, the, one of the biggest differences between the United States and England, <coughs> excuse me, is that after World War II, both our governments and the powers that be in the governments um, were trying to make our country, our countries become socialist. They were using the war as an excuse for government to get big and to control everything. That happened in the United Kingdom, and that's why they introduced socialized medicine in the 1950s. and why they became a socialistic society after a world war. You would think that the last thing you would ever want to do is become a socialistic society, especially after a world war when socialism was part of the problem as to why Hitler came into power. So just FYI be aware of that. Um goes on to say the act also created the Council of Economic Advisers and attached the White House um which provides analysis and recommendations as well as the joint economic committee so basically a bunch of bureaucrats that don't know what they're talking about cuz very rarely do they understand the private sector what else is new with our government goes on to say in practice the government has relied on automatic stabilizers and the federal reserve policy for macroeconomic management while the council of economic advisers has focused primarily on discussions of microeconomic issues so basically it's a lot of bs excuse my language Um in terms of a little bit of background to this it says by 1940 the great depression was finally over that's not completely true uh many farmers suffered here in Oklahoma and in other bible belt states because of the dust bowl so that's not completely true and so it goes on to say a remarkable burst of economic activity and full employment came during America's involvement in World War 2 that's not true um there was not a burst of economic activity it was women entering the workforce that kept our economy alive and afloat so if it wasn't for all uh, all these women back in the day especially homemakers and single women um if it wasn't for them entering the workforce and taking over the jobs of many of the men that left the private sector to go serve in the military we would not have an economy so god bless women and god bless the women way back in the day that really put their lives on hold to protect and defend the United States I would say within our economy you know you, you I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this there are many people that feel guilty for not serving their country but do not feel guilty for not serving in the military because there are many ways to serve your country one way is to get a job do really well be successful pay your taxes and be a part of your community And I don't mean like in a socialistic manner like what we talked about in the previous podcast with like having community banks and that kind of nonsense. I'm talking about being an active member of society wherever you live. That is how you serve your country. So not everybody should be in the, should be in the military and not everybody can be in the military because we are, we are not a military um we are not a military driven uh, country or economy. other countries are like for example many countries in the middle east and also um in the east like china and russia they are very military driven the the united states not like that because we don't have a automatic draft i think in iran and other middle eastern countries they have an automatic draft for young men and also in russia because i met a guy um he did not want to serve in the military in the russian military so He can't ever go back uh, even to visit his family because if he goes back they will arrest him at the airport and force him to be in the military. We do not have that here in the United States. You are not forced to be in the military unless we have a draft and that's very rare that we have that. That has only happened like two or three times in the history of the United States, I'm pretty sure. But we do not have an automatic draft. Over in the Middle East especially because I dated a guy from the Middle East. Um 
he had to serve in the Iranian uh, military. And he was a young man, and he served from when he was like 18 years of age to age 22 or 23. And I'll never forget what he said. He and I was like, "Why does your government do that? Like that's so crazy." And he said, "Well, he goes, a lot of us don't always agree with it." He goes, "But you go in a boy and you come out a man." He said it teaches you resilience and it teaches you to love and respect your country and to defend those that cannot defend themselves. And I thought that was very interesting that someone from the Middle East actually thought that way. So, it's very interesting cuz you know, I look at it this way, how many people from I think is it the is it millennials? Whatever generation it is, is it Z? I'm trying to remember which one it is, but people that are younger than me. Um like born in the 90s and the 2000s. Can you imagine them um being drafted and actually serving their country like in the military and actually, you know, protecting this country if we had to have a draft? Um we have a lot of self-entitled uh spoiled rotten um super young people that do not understand what it means to be an American. They do not understand what it means to be a citizen of any country and they but yet they're for socialism. And it's like, wow, maybe that's the problem. When you are for socialism, you're not really for your country. Um uh, but moving on it says fears of a post-war depression were widespread that's not true since the massive military spending was ending the war plants were shutting down that's not true they just switched over to producing other goods cuz many military war plants used to be producing other things you know like whether it's furniture or appliances or things like that many factories were were changed over to the military to make military weapons and and things that the military needs to fight in that war. So whenever the war ended, those plants did not shut down. They they reverted back to whoever originally owned them and they went back to having normal jobs. So they went from making tanks and things like that to just making regular merchandise that people can purchase. So not everything that you read or hear is completely true. Sometimes there's a kernel of truth, but it's wrapped up in a whole lot of lies, and I can't stand that, so that's why we go over this stuff. And it says in 12 million military personnel were coming home. That number, I'm not so sure if it's that large, cuz some people were already brought back home. Um it says in response Congress sought to establish a preemptive safeguards against an economic turndown. That's just Democrats using um the war and post-war um I would say time frame to try and take over more and more of the private sector because you have to remember that at one point in time taxes in this country were almost 60 or 80% which is excessively high. Like can you imagine losing 80% of your paycheck every time you get paid and it goes to the fat bloated tick which we call the federal government? That's a big problem because the less money you have, the worse our economy is. That's just how it is. Um but moving on it says the original bill um called the full employment bill of 1945 was introduced in the house and introduced without change uh by congressman patman in the senate the bill represented a a effort to develop a broad economic policy for the country that's not the role of government that's not the role of congress you know congress does have the power of the purse but that doesn't mean they should use it um to become socialist and to try and force other people to become socialist or communist in this country goes on to say um it mandated that the federal government do everything in its authority to achieve full employment that's not the role of government at all because otherwise everybody would be working for the government everybody would have a public sector job which is exactly what happened in the Soviet Union after World War II and they had massive starvation <laughs> they had massive diseases like just a whole lot of death and disease and there were many people um that 
they they were executed or murdered by their own government in Russia because they did not want to become communist. So after World War II ended, um the Russian Empire, um aka the Soviet Union became very communist. It was really bad and they became a secret society. What that means is that no one could get out uh, get in and no one could get out. So and that's kind of when the Cold War started between the United States, well between Russia and the rest of the free world. Um Russia did not appreciate or like the freedom that the West had because they did not want their citizens to be free. So after World War II, the um the Soviet Union used that as an opportunity or I should say its leaders used it as an opportunity to take over everything, literally farms, banks, everything. And guess what? It ran it into the ground and it was really terrible. Um so you know it says a mandate that, that the federal government do everything in its authority to achieve full employment that's not the role of government which was established as a right guaranteed to the American people it's not a right to full employment that's not a right it's a privilege it's a privilege you are not guaranteed a full-time job in any country you are not well unless you're drafted into the military uh but then it's not really a job and it's it's something that you have to do you you do get paid at least here in the United States. I don't know about other countries if they always pay their military. I just don't know. Um it says the bill required the president to submit an annual economic report in addition to the national budget. The report designated the economic report of the president must estimate the projected employment rate for the next fiscal year and if not um uh and if not i don't know what this next word is um but anyway it's saying it's talking about the full employment rate and to mandate policies as necessary to attain it well that's not the role of the of the president that's not the role of our government um here's the thing it's not, i mean who knows how much employment there's going to be like whenever you see these figures oh you know we're we're going to have this many jobs really why don't we just focus on doing what's right and the jobs will appear you know the the jobs will come about but here's the thing you you know I don't like it whenever politicians say oh we're going to create jobs that's not the role of government and both democrats and republicans say that line and it's an absolute lie they need to stop lying um moving on it says there was strong opposition to the wording of the bill from the business community which feared government regulation I don't blame them De- deficit spending I don't blame them and runaway inflation that's very true conservatives um argued that business cycles in a free enterprise economy were natural and that um there there's different type of spending um that should not be exercised except in the most extreme of cases so basically what the republicans are saying is that Yes, government spends money, but it should not be for this, and we need to control our spending because otherwise this leads to inflation. Um some also believed that the economy would naturally drive toward full employment levels. That's not always true. Not everybody works a full-time job. Not everybody needs a full-time job. So for anybody to think that um that we're just all going to have full-time employment levels is absolutely insane. It's that that's not how a free economy works meaning a capitalistic society meaning not everybody fits the same mold you know not everybody is working the night shift as a nurse at a hospital right just like not everybody is working at a car dealership during the day so th- there are different types of jobs and so for the government to try and say oh everybody's going to have a full-time employment and that's a guarantee that is that is exactly what the soviet union and also what china did and china still has slave labor because they're communist and they enslave their own people so their people are not really free so needs to say 
our economy and our society and our country is way better than any other country because we do not force people to work. And we do not put control of other people's employment in the hands of our government except for social security, Medicare, Medicaid, disability and um there's another program it it's for veterans. And guess what? Most of those programs are absolute failures. Why? Because the government is in charge of it. That's why. Um others believed that accurate employment level forecasting by the government was not practical. That's true. It's not also feasible. Some were uncomfortable with um with an outright guarantee of employment. That that is very true because it it's not up to government to decide um that everybody should have full-time work. So basically, um Democrats they thought everybody should have full-time employment and that basically means we want everybody to work. And if you're not working, why aren't you doing what we say to do? You know, we we the government are trying to um enforce full-time employment. That that's not the role of government. That's very dangerous because then you have you run to the issue of the government controlling the the entire private sector and controlling all these different industries. That is exactly what happened in the USSR and guess what their economy completely tanked and failed and their currency failed not because of World War II but because of what they did after World War II over in the Soviet Union. Um the conservative coalition of northern republicans and southern democrats uh controlled congress. The bill was pressured to take on a number of amendments that forced the removal of the guarantee of full employment. I agree with that and the order to engage in um I guess compensation uh, spending although the spirit of the bill carried through into the Employment Act of 1946 um it th- there were many things that were stripped out of it which is good because you don't want socialism especially within your laws that's that's really not a good thing um and basically the result was a bill that made the general goals of full employment full production and stable prices well none of that is the role of government that that is not the role of government at all the role of government is to protect the home front defend americans protect americans and collect taxes that's it everything outside of that is not relevant to the government um it's i would say it disappoints me whenever we have people even from times past that do not understand what it means to be an american and to protect and to defend what we have in the constitution. If if full-time employment was supposed to be a guarantee or a right, it would be in the Bible, it's not. It would be in the Torah, it's not. It would be in the 54 books of the Apocrypha, it's not. And it would be in the Constitution of the United States of America. Guess what? Full-time employment is not a guarantee or a right. It's not. It, it it's it's a privilege and it's an honor. It's not a guarantee and it's not a right because you as an individual have to decide to work. the government can't force you to work although you know they can try and force you to work and if you don't and if you're on like some kind of um some kind of benefit program what the government does is it pulls your benefits and says hey we don't like what you're doing so we're not going to do what we said we were going to do so the government very much knows how to punish people um but anyway president truman signed the compromise bill um into law on february 20th 1946 um Conservatives removed quite a bit from the final bill. I'm very grateful for that. I'm very grateful because if it wasn't for Republicans, we we would have been a socialistic society probably before our our founding uh, of our country, which would be really scary. Um so the things that they removed were really good. They they did not want the government to be in charge of employment. Um so 
it's it's one of those things that this act it just encourages the federal government to promote maximum employment production and purchasing power um it really shouldn't even be doing that that's not the role of government we are supposed to encourage and promote ourselves we do not need the federal government to pass on the back give us a gold star give us a trophy those things are wonderful but that is not the role or the or the responsibility of our government like you know if you're age 18 or age 18 and or over that age you are an adult so act like it Um unfortunately Democrats they don't want people to grow up they want them to be reliant and dependent upon the government so that way the government can get really big and confiscate people's money their property and their 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 um, what's it called their employer and their employee benefits because the government wants to control and mandate all of that an example of that is Obamacare Obamacare um should never been passed it's illegal and it is unlawful Unfortunately our Supreme Court really didn't get that memo so I guess at that time our Supreme Court was not really educated on federal law um but that law uh forced people to purchase health insurance and not everybody wants it not everybody needs not everybody needs it but unfortunately the federal government just views us as a bunch of lemmings and they put us all in the same basket and whenever your government puts everybody in the same basket that's when you no longer have uh, freedom or liberty that's when you get really horrible healthcare which would be socialized medicine because it's just one size fits all well you know a size 2 is not the same as a size 18 or a size 20 so one size fits all never really works and that is a problem um moving on it says the act requires the president to submit an annual economic report within 10 days of the submission of the national budget that forecasts the future state of the economy including employment production capital formation and real income statistics i really don't see why they include employment or production the other two things i agree with but you know that's not um the role of government to try and predict those things that's just not it's it's role and what are they going to know not much they're mostly bureaucrats so good luck with that Um the economic report of the president um uh it sets forth future economic goals of the country that's not the role of the president and offers suggestions on how to attain it that's not the that's not the job of our president and um that that really concerns me about that um the act created the council of economic advisors basically useless bureaucrats that do nothing but probably get a really large paycheck and it is a appointed advisory board so these people are not elected they're not really held accountable for what they're doing or what they're not doing they just get paid to really not do much of anything so it is a a appointed advisory board that advises and assists the president in formulating economic policy good luck with that they're probably not very smart people it also created the joint economic committee a committee composed of both senators and representatives instructed to review it as the government's economic policy at least annually well Um a lot of these committees don't really accomplish a lot and they're kind of a joke because you have basically a swamp which is DC and um they control everything and they love to pat themselves on the back that they have committees they have they have advisory boards and they're not really held accountable for, for what they do or for what they don't do and so that becomes a tremendous problem you know just think about the FBI um the FBI uh, i think it can be a good agency but i think it's been a bad agency for a while now and the reason why is because no one holds them accountable for what they're doing wrong and for what they're not doing meaning they're not doing their job or they're not doing it well so that becomes a problem um In terms of talking about unemployment, it says unemployment levels remained fairly steady after the passing of the act. After 1970, however, the economy began to fluctuate and unemployment rates rose again. Well, you can thank Jimmy Carter because of that. Jimmy Carter really screwed up a lot of things. And um basically Democrats they really screw things up. So 
you know, let me say this, people couldn't wait for Ronald Reagan to take office. They they couldn't wait. Um it says here um the same fears that motivated the creation of the act in 1946 um precipitated an amendment in 1978 entitled the Full Employment and Balanced Growth Act. The act was identical in spirit to the original Full Employment Bill of 1945, providing a full guarantee of employment and economic means to do so. Again, that's not the role of government. Um that is the role of private citizens, meaning citizens of the United States, we have a right to be free, have liberty, have those rights protected, but but we don't have the right to a full-time job. That's dependent upon your um your your skill set and it's really up to you what job you want to do and are you qualified for that job. This would be like, you know, if the government was completely in charge of all of our employment, um it'd be like in the USSR where the the communist regime over there forced everybody to become farmers. Because the government took over all the banks. and they confiscated bank accounts, property, people's houses, they forced bankers to not be bankers and they imprisoned many of the wealthy over there. So that's big government's big solution. Good luck with that. Um it's not um a good thing to put your government in charge of your employment. The only thing I do agree with is the Department of Labor. Like for example, if your rights are violated by an employer, whether in the public sector or the private sector, then the government can intervene and say, "Hey, you're violating federal law." But here's the thing, if you put government in charge of employment, and let's say, you know, big government violates your rights because you've put your government in charge of your employment, you can never hold them accountable. That's the problem. That's the problem with communism and socialism as well as fascism. Um but specifically socialism and communism, it's very difficult to hold your government accountable if they are in charge of everything and you report to them, they don't report to you. That is exactly what is happening in Canada because they're extremely um socialist and that's because of Trudeau. And I think it's very unfortunate that Trudeau and his goons are acting like that because Trudeau is nothing like his dad. Nothing. Um his dad was I I believe was a good man and very much care about Canada and brought tremendous unity but he was not a socialist nutbag and he was not a progressive liberal um he was actually a, I would say very conservative in many ways although he 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 pushed the envelope in terms of trying new things in Canada to better Canada the things that Trudeau is doing today um not good. Um Justin Trudeau is an idiot and a moron. He does not understand um the economy. He does not understand labor. He does not understand currency. And you can tell because his goons, they just spend more and more money and yet they they pass all these taxes on Canadians that Canadians cannot afford. It's already expensive to live in Canada. So, if it's already super expensive, why would your government or your leaders raise the prices even more to make it extremely unaffordable and then punish you for living there? Basically, it's basically a punishment to be Canadian these days. And so, um I I feel sorry for you Canada, but yeah, you know, I, I got to say it, you brought on yourselves because you keep electing these bad people. And that is your own fault. I mean, it's kind of like how people complain about our economy here in the United States. Uh, during Obama's regime I'm like well did you vote for him because he was elected twice so if you vote for him and you're complaining you have no one to blame but yourself that's just how it is and even if you did not vote for him I don't really see the point in complaining like I didn't like it when Obama was president because it was hell it was horrible it wasn't as bad um I'm told as uh, when when Jimmy Carter was elected president but it was pretty bad 
And uh, well, there are some people that said that Obama was worse, but I think it kind of depends on which part of the lousiness of their presidency you're looking at. Because um, there were some things that Obama, you know, was really good at. And one thing I liked that he did um, was he really focused on workers' rights and making sure that people, not not, not people, um, employers, well, they are people, but I think you understand what I'm trying to say here. Employers in the private sector, he wanted to make sure that they actually. Um, we're going to pay their employees what they say they're going to pay them. What I don't like what President Obama did was he made so that all jobs in the United States had to be reclassified. And so, like for example, the job I had at the time, um, I got reclassified. So instead of being salaried, I was forced to be hourly, and I hated it because then I had to clock in all the time. I had to clock in, clock out, clock in, clock out. I hate it. I just wanted to be salaried. If I worked a lot of hours, I worked a lot of hours. It just went towards a bonus. I just got a raise later. But when I got switched hourly, it made my life a living hell, especially for my employer. And you know what? They were not very kind to hourly workers. They they just were not. And I'm like, why can't you treat me with the same dignity and respect that you showed me when I was a salaried worker? So basically, if you were not a manager, you were forced to be an hourly employee based on what President Obama and his goons decide. See, that is the Democrats trying to take over your labor. It's one is it's one thing to say, hey, we we believe in workers' rights and we want to make sure that those rights are protected. It's completely different to try and take over all of the labor in the United States and force people, force employers to reclassify jobs. So you, you were no longer um, trying to think of the best way to describe this. Um, basically, the government said that only managers could be salaried. That is so stupid. That is unbelievably stupid. And also, if you made below a certain level of money, in terms of gross income, you were forced to be hourly as opposed to salaried. I hated that. My thinking was, I don't need to be making 250k and have manager in my title in order to be salaried. You know, I or, or hourly or whatever the case may be. Like that's it, it really angered my employer at the time. And they made my life a living hell, and it was horrible. And I think it showed the true nature of so many employers that, whenever the federal government does stupid stuff like that, instead of calling up the federal government, they took it out on the employees. But also, I was working in, in an at-will state, so um, I think that kind of goes into play with that. I think it's very unfortunate, but I was so glad when Obama um, was no longer in office. <laughs> I was so grateful for term limits. I really was, because <laughs> um, it was it was hell. Because Obama, he didn't know what he was doing, and he hired some really horrible people, and just nothing made sense. Not hardly anything that came out of his mouth was true or legit, and he hired some really stupid, ignorant people. But I don't think it's as bad as the people that Biden has hired. Because Biden, I mean, I'll close with this. I feel so sorry for Biden because he's had two brain aneurysms. Um, he's basically a puppet in other people's hands. And he has hired some really bad people that are socialist liberals, uh, very progressive, and you know that's not who Biden really is. Biden is actually a very conservative Democrat. Like if you go back in time and you you read his articles, or um, or you listen to his speeches, or, or or you just look at you know what he believed in when he was younger, he was actually con a conservative Democrat, maybe a moderate, but he was not a crazy liberal nutbag. Until he had these two brain aneurysms, and then um, he basically is just a puppet to Kamala Harris and her goons, and I think that's really sad because 
that dishonors the office of the presidency and I don't agree with that like I I did not vote for Biden and also did not vote for uh, Obama but regardless of who I vote for and regardless of who is president I always respect the office of the presidency unfortunately many people that work at the White House and for our federal government they do not respect the office of the presidency and that's why they control and manipulate our president and all these different federal agencies because they do not honor and respect the constitution of the United States here's the thing regardless of who becomes president i mean we all want our favorite person to become president right but that doesn't always happen that that's how it is in a democracy where you have the right to vote and to cast your ballot and it's one of those things that even if you don't get what you want in a normal democratic society you 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 I'm trying to think the best way to start to, to describe this there's so much I want to say about this you put your country first on this technically you put god first and everything else falls in a place but when you're talking about the the office of the presidency your personal opinions take a back seat when it comes to honoring the office of the presidency Like I hardly liked anything that Obama did, but I respected him and his family. I'll say this as well. I remember when Obama was president and there were so many horrible, deplorable um memes and horrible things being said about him and his family, especially his wife and his daughters. And I was like that is low. And I, you know, if ever I saw it online, I called the people out on. It. I'm like don't ever bring someone's family into this. If you have a problem with Obama, you say it to him. Write him a letter. But do not ever target someone's family or their children or their spouse. That is not relevant to the office of the presidency. So there needs to be honor in that. And unfortunately, sometimes people they get so caught up in what they want that it becomes selfish and they don't honor what they are supposed to honor. So when someone doesn't honor something, they are technically dishonoring it. And there's no place for dishonor in the United States, much less on this planet. But anyway, I will go ahead and end it there for this lovely podcast. But as usual, until next time, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole. That you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. God bless and bye bye. Waves transform the earth